But uh, this morning, as Hannah has mentioned, we're starting this new sermon series, looking at, the, over the next five weeks, the book of Leviticus. And I'm excited. I mentioned this to some people around this place, to the team, and I thought I was bringing a, like, a bit of a risky idea. But it seems like it's the cool thing now to like the hard books of the Bible. <laughs> so everywhere I said Leviticus, everyone's like, yes, finally. So, hey. Let's get excited. Leviticus is going to be a good time over the next five weeks. I think God is going to speak to us through it. So you join me in prayer as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, we come before you this morning believing that your word is good. All of your scripture can speak to us, can work in us, can shape us. Lord, as we come this morning, may our hearts, may our minds, may our souls be open to the work that you're wanting to do in us. May we hear your voice and have the courage to follow. In your name, amen. Awesome. So last week, if you're aware of the Christian calendar, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, which is one of the highlights of the Christian calendar, I think. And in that, we discussed if actually Resurrection Sunday isn't just this historical event we look back on, and it's not just an idea that we grasp, but there's something of resurrection life that we're called to live into. And I think as we transition out of Easter, if you don't do that transition well, it can be like a bit of a bait and switch in our faith faith lives, that Easter's this period where we hear about Jesus died for you, his grace covers you. You don't need to do anything to deserve it. Come as you are. Whatever you've done, come to Jesus. The cross and his resurrection covers it. And then post-Easter, it's kind of the switch of like, now we've got you on the door and we've sold you. Here are the list of rules and regulations you have to follow. We'll give these to you as you leave. And there's a whole bunch of kind of unspoken ones that you just have to pick up and learn about. And so there's this journey of what it means to be a resurrection people, that we want to explore how to do that well, how to be people who live in the world as God's holy people. And I think the book of Leviticus has something to say about this. I think that it's got something profound to say to the question of how we are to live as saved people in the world. And this morning, I want to set a bit of a framework of how we approach Leviticus And I want to do this through sharing kind of a bit of the context of Leviticus and then focusing in really on one passage in the opening chapters, which I think gives a helpful framework of how to get what God might be saying to us through the book of Leviticus. And I think it's a book that we come to, and it's a weird book. It's a hard book. Like, it's a book that most of us, if we don't have a Bible reading plan that forces us to go through it, probably avoid it or like skim read it or listen to it in the car where it's kind of on in the background. We don't really actually, and I think there's a few reasons for that. I think some of it just seems boring. Like there's so much repetition through this book. Just laws repeated, just detail after specific detail. Some of it seems really impenetrable and irrelevant. Like how can this even relate to my life now? And to be completely honest, some of it even seems offensive. 
And there are some tricky passages in here. And over the next few weeks, we won't be able to address them all. But I hope that as we place this book in some kind of context, and we can resource you guys of how to approach this book and hear God's voice speaking through the book of Leviticus. And I think to start, context is really important when you approach the book of Leviticus. Because essentially it's a book of laws. And if you pick it up, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, you just are straight into the laws. And I think you miss something of the picture of God working behind if that's how you start it. Leviticus, if you don't know, is the third book in our Bible. And the first five books are generally gathered together as what's known as the Pentateuch or the Torah or the law. These kind of this, this is the foundational text for the nation of Israel moving forward. And Leviticus is the third book And it kind of is the central key one that they all point towards. So if we start in the book of Genesis, super skim through, start in the book of Genesis with the creation story. We get God creates everything. And it ends the creation story in this beautiful image of God dwelling with his people in the garden. That God's people are in God's presence and that is good and that is how it should be. And then, as we all know, the story kind of falls off from there. Adam and Eve, sin are kicked out of the garden. God continues to pursue them, continues to call people back to himself. He raises up a people through Abraham. But eventually, God's people end up in slavery in the nation of Egypt, in the book of Exodus. They've gone from the starting place of dwelling with God in his presence to now in Exodus, they're slaves in a foreign land with foreign gods, kind of as far away from God as they can get. And yet in the midst of that, God comes and he moves and he acts and he saves them out of Egypt. And he pulls them through the desert and they end up at Mount Sinai. And the book of Exodus ends with the building of the tabernacle, this place that if you read the start of Genesis and you read the building of the tabernacle there's actually some parallels where the tabernacle is again this coming back to this Eden experience of God is present but Exodus ends of God is present in this tabernacle but we don't really know how to get in we don't really know how to get to God and Leviticus is this covers this year-long period where the people of God the nation of Israel are at Mount Sinai and God says I'm going to spend a year forming you into my people, forming you, shaping you, showing you how to live before then I take you into the promised land. And I think there's some important stuff in here because while God had saved his people out of Egypt physically, they had been under oppression, under just traumatic stuff in a foreign country. They were brought out of the country, but man, they had some stuff to work through. And this year-long period is a God saying, hey, let's work through this stuff. Let's process it. I want to call you to something higher. I want to call you to be my holy people. I am a holy God. You will be my holy people. And I want to show you graciously how to do it that there's some stuff from Egypt that you guys need to still leave behind because as they journey through the desert, again, the most common refrain from the Israelites is, God, why did you set us free? 
we were better off being slaves. And Leviticus is the period where God says, no, you were not better as slaves. This is the life, the fullness I'm calling you into. This is how you're be, to be called as a free and saved people. Because they needed that. Because their whole understanding of the world and themselves was slaves, slavery. So this morning I want to read from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 13 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, feel free to bring it up. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. He shall dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do this with the bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest shall make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this year, as a church, as Hannah's mentioned, our theme has been formation, that we want to be people who are formed more and more into the image of Christ. And key to this formation has been this idea that actually this is more than about getting, it's not, it includes this, but it's more than about getting good theology, good thinking, good ideas. There's something of following Christ requires a rhythm and a practice. And we've talked about how we're going to do that as a community. That actually God pours out his grace on us as we follow Christ, however he likes. But as we look through church history, there's some common ways that he transforms us. And those are, like Hannah said, that we pray every day, that we bless someone in a meaningful way once a week, that we notice God, what God is saying through his scripture every day, and that we rest once a week. We practice Sabbath delight. And through those practices, we'll encounter God and being transformed. So we've started doing those practices as a church community. And as I myself have been reading and researching and listening to people on this journey of formation, one theme idea came through, particularly through this one guy, James Brian Smith, from people and from others who have done this journey of formation for longer than we have on some helpful thoughts, advice, actually ways to do this well. And one common thing that came through is that these practices that we do, God works and encounters us in it, but there can be this effect that they can just reinforce our unhelpful, un our unhealthy, our distorted views of God. That actually, when we come to these practices, the way we view God matters that if you view God as a vindictive judge who's out there watching your every move, like 
your Sabbath is going to not be very restful. It's going to be very stressful because you're very worried. As you read through Scripture, the verses that pop out are probably going to be the ones that are speaking conviction and condemnation. Those will be the ones that stand out. You'll completely miss the ones around grace and God being there for you in love. Maybe in your prayer times, the voices that will stick out is maybe that's God speaking will be the words of condemnation and challenge and conviction. You'll miss the words of God saying, I'm here for you and I love you and I'm with you. So actually as we do these practices, we go on this formation journey, there's something of how we view God, our image, our story of God that matters. And I think this is why it's important to place a book like Leviticus in context because it's a story of a God continually gracefully showing up and delivering his people being present so as we approach these laws that's the way I want us to encourage I want to encourage us to read through Leviticus and if you've never read through it before actually everyone I'd encourage through the series to read through the book of Leviticus especially if you've never read through it before and read through it as this with this lens of God as a good God, as a gracious God, as a beautiful God. Because I think there's something beautiful in there of God as a God who rescues his people out of slavery and as a loving parent says, I'm not just going to save you and then let you go to figure out life. I want to guide you and lead you and hold you and create a safe community for you. That's the context that we read these laws that God both says, be holy as I am holy, calls us to something bigger, something higher, something of challenge, but says, I'm going to show you and guide you and give you grace and give you hope the whole way. That's how we come to the book of Leviticus. Because for me, as I reflect back on my faith and my experience of faith, the deeper I've gone with Christ, with God, I both experience the image of Christ within myself at the deepest of my heart, of my mind, of my soul. But I also experience the fragility, the sin, the brokenness in those places as well. And as we go on this formation journey, we're going to experience the beauty with each, within each one of ourselves, but also the brokenness. And I hope this series will encourage us that as we go to those deep places, we'll find that God is already there and he's already got stuff He's already shown the way, okay, when this stuff bubbles up that you're like, oh, I have to deal with this. God's like, I've already got ways in place. I've already got people in place to help you deal with this stuff. And he does this in the book of Leviticus. The start of the book, as I said, opens with, starts with laws, and they're laws about sacrifice. So you get these, this rundown of how you're supposed to sacrifice a bull, how you're supposed to sacrifice a sheep or a lamb, how you're supposed to sacrifice a bird, and how you're supposed to sacrifice grain. You get a full rundown. Every situation, how you do it, how the priest does it, a full rundown. And for me, again, if we come to these texts with this lens of, is this, a, this is a God who is loving, who is kind, who is wanting to guide us, wanting to shape us, I think that speaks into the, even these passages. That in a context for the Israelite people where belief in God was a given, like in every nation you believed in gods, the goal was to get them on your side or appease them. 
whether that's around fertility, whether that's around food, whether that's around preventing disaster, you want the gods on your side. And the way that you did that was you sacrificed to them. You didn't necessarily know what you had to sacrifice, how much, it was just like, we just got to appease these gods somehow. And you can imagine when life's going well, you're like, yeah, my sacrifices are good. But when life's going hard, you'd have this like escalating like level of what you need to sacrifice. And you see it when they talk around the nations around Israel, that they get to the point where they sacrifice their children. Because we've just got to figure out how to appease the gods. We sacrifice our most precious thing, our children, the people who give us this promise of this legacy. We're willing to sacrifice them to appease the gods. And in the context of this, we get a God who starts a book saying, let's just like de-escalate this. You may have mucked up, you may have stuffed up. This does not going to necessarily cost you your life or your child's life. This might cost you a bull or a sheep or a bird or some grain. But like, it feels like there's this God saying, actually, you're not going to have to figure this out for yourself. I want to lead you on a guide you. There are safe ways to do this. And the sacrifice, through through these sacrifices, you see that sacrifices are this symbolic meal, almost, at God's house, in God's presence with God as the host. And he instructs us as the host how to do it and how to do it well. And the point isn't necessarily the specific sacrifices. Like pretty quickly in the Old Testament, we see that actually the sacrifice itself isn't the main deal. In 1 Samuel, we get this tragic story where Saul is called by God to be God's leader over his people. And he gets caught up in the details of sacrifice. He knows he has to give a sacrifice. The priest is late. He's like, but the rules say. So he just does it himself. And we get this tragic passage from Samuel, which I want to read. And this is Samuel's response to him. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the the fat of lambs. And it comes through again in the prophets multiple times that God's heart is not for... As we read these, there's, there's a distance for us reading about sacrifice, but for God, even the Old Testament, he's saying, it's not about that. If you're reading it for the details of the specific animals, you're missing the point. The point is obedience and faithfulness to God. Are you in this relationship? God is wanting to guide us. Are you willing to follow and Saul got so tied up in the rules that he missed the following, that it's actually about obedience, that sacrifice is this worship, this rite of passage where we become right with God. And I love how this passage we're reading this morning, which is part of a, a bunch of similar laws around this passage, speaks about it, I just want to read the starting verses again. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young boar as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. 
Like the rest of it deals with how you, what you do with the bull. But I think the beautiful thing is here is, is this is part of one of four. This is one of four sections that deals with unintentional and unaware sins. There's sins around the priest, the leaders, the community, and individuals who sin unintentionally. Every time I read through Leviticus, these verses strike me because they say something of God and his law as loving, as graceful, but calls us to holiness. Here there's an assumption. I think through this fact, there's an assumption that we're going to fall short, we're going to muck up. And we may not even be aware of it. But when we do become aware of it, God's saying, again, don't worry. You were unaware when you did it. It still matters, even though you weren't aware. It still matters. It's still significant, but I've given you the means. I've shown you, don't worry. I've already prepared the way to find forgiveness. This beautiful, like, your sins matter even when you're not aware, but don't worry. I knew this was going to happen. I'm going to be there. I'm going to set it at your pace and your rhythm. I know you guys are going to stuff up, but I've got the means and I'm going to be realistic about this. That it's been prepared well in advance. And I think as I think about, as I think about our current age, talking with people, reading things, some have summarized it as the age of distraction. That this is an age where you will struggle to be bored. Like, Boredom is a thing we avoid at all costs, and actually it's pretty easy to do. We have these incredible phones, probably in our pockets, most of us, that have access to all the news, social media, movies. Like, there's so, I didn't do it. It's ridiculous that we can watch movies on our phone. Like, there's something absurd about the size of that. But it, there's something in there of, I think we just... This constant entertainment, this constant noise, this avoidance, this constant distraction, that our attention, our worship is so scattered, so thrown so many different ways. And I think the challenge, most of us know like we're probably on our phones too much, we're probably on computers too much, we're probably on social media too much. Like we, most of us probably know that kind of thing. And there's a lot of talk around we need to disconnect, have phone-free days, switch off, slow down. And that's totally worth it. But I think the struggle is that it doesn't necessarily fix us. Like, there's value to stopping that stuff. But as I look through human history, I think human history shows us those people without phones and without Netflix and without social media they did some pretty messed up stuff too. Like, they weren't distracted, but actually they were just as broken and sinful and like didn't know how to sort it out. So I think there's something for us in our culture of there's this opportunity to, like, if you can bring back up the passage, we can, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt, Unfortunately, we're probably built where we could fill our lives with different things that we never even get to the awareness of the guilt. There can be so much noise that it's just we live above, above it. 
And I wonder if it's this fear that when we realize our guilt, what that'll mean for us. That it will be devastating. And yet we get passages like this where God, thousands of years ago, says, don't worry, I know there'll be stuff that you're not aware of. I've already made a plan. I've already got people around to lead you and help you through this. I've got processes, there's stuff you can feel free to slow down and let that stuff bubble up. You can realize that stuff because actually I've got processes to deal with it. So I wonder this morning, how are your practices going? How are your rhythms of life? Your pray, your bless, your notice rest. Firstly, is there a need to reshape, reform your vision of God and why God is calling you to that? Do you know that God is a loving, kind, beautiful God who is doing this for your good? That while we may not have been slaves in Egypt, all of us have probably similar mindsets, hearts, spirits, motivations, desires, that actually God's like, I want to shape and form those and heal those too. And these practices will help that. But this morning I want to lead us in a practice that we've talked about before. And this is the practice of prayer, the practice of silence. The practice of silence is a practice that I personally have struggled with. And at a surface level, I think it's because my mind is so easily distracted. Like there's always thoughts bubbling up, there's things to do, there's tasks to do. There's just stuff going on. But if I'm honest, at a deeper level, if I get rid of all those distractions, get that stillness, what I realize is I almost have this physical posture before God of this, like, protective bracing, like, God, like, okay, I'm silent. Like, bring on the criticism, bring on the critique, bring on the ways I've fallen short and you need me to, like, do better. Like, that's, for me, that's, prob- that's like silence. I have to consciously work against that. Tell myself, actually, that's not who God is. Yes, he, to- he will totally convict. He will bring up stuff. Stuff will bubble up. But like Leviticus says, when that stuff comes up, he's got people. He's got ways to deal with that. It's safe to bring up with God. Because he is a loving God who's not just going to let us go free. He's going to guide us, lead us. He's going to form us. So I want to invite the band up this morning. And we're going to practice some silence together. And I'll invite you, this is a practice, a prayer practice. My hope would be that this wouldn't be your only time of silence for this week but I want to encourage us to enter into, we're going to do five minutes of complete silence. There might be moments of awkwardness and someone coughs and we all kind of (laughs) lean away, but I want us to sit in the silence knowing that God wants, God is with us and when stuff comes up, bubbles up in our lives, he wants to deal with that, heal it and call us to something greater. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have five minutes of silence and then the band will lead us in a song to close. Heavenly Father, 
You are a good God. You are a beautiful God. You are a graceful God. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who does not leave us to our own devices, but you save us out of moments of despair and struggle. Lord, that you want to lead us, you want to guide us, you want to shape us. That you are a safe God. That you call us to be holy as you are holy. And you give us the means to do that, Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning as we sit in silence for five minutes, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and meet each one of us here. That you would be doing a work whether that's affirming, encouraging, loving, whether that's conviction, whether that's challenge, we pray that it would be held in a sense of you are wanting to lead us through that process. Come and meet with us, heal us, work work within us this morning, Lord God. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.